You're listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. Learn about local issues, meet candidates, and find out what we're doing to bring more options to Georgia voters. Now here's your host. Hi, and welcome to the Georgia Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Ryan Graham. I am the chair of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. And um, today I have with me a um, special guest, Chase Oliver. He is the chair of the Libertarian Party of Atlanta. Hello. <laughs> hey, man, how, how are you holding up and all this, uh, um, whatever, the, the, the lockdown stuff? I'm I'm doing all right. I, you know, I'm one of the folks who works from home, so I basically spend eight hours a day in front of a computer screen at my house now instead of driving to the office. But uh, other than that, I'm you know I'm just trying to stay sane with with not going out and uh, you know going out for a meal and stuff like that. But everything else has been pretty uh, pretty good for me all all things considered. Yeah, I lucked out. I have a I have a job that basically didn't miss a beat. I, I think it was maybe a week, a week and a half before they actually sent everybody home where I, you know, went to my bosses and said, there's no reason for us to keep coming into the office. You know, we, we should, uh, we should all just be working from home. The, the risks are too high, which they weren't even, they didn't even feel super high at that point. But it just seemed like the right move to, to, to do if we were all remote anyway. So oh, yeah. We, we mean, went into I, the I, office, but we worked for our clients remote. So, <laughs> that, see, and uh, you know, I work, uh, I work in a large office, and like about three weeks before everything kind of started shutting down altogether, you know, uh, they sent us all home because they said we're, we're, you know, we're a lot of people. But I was first guy to be like, um, we all we work a little close to each other. Maybe we should, uh, you know, be taking these laptops home and whatnot. And so I was the first, you know, I was in the first wave of people. I've been home for almost eight weeks now, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, part of, part of my problem too, is like, I got a, a mild fever and a cough, like right when it was all kind of popping off. And so, so I'm in the office, you know, coughing and they're like, shouldn't you not be here? And I'm like, you know, I, I just wasn't taking it very seriously at that point. It was still like three or four weeks before we, you know, we got sent home. And then it got to a point where I was just like, like a week later, I was like, ah, let's just work from home. It's partly because of me. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, and I'm glad you it's good that we uh, have the choice to do that. Not everybody does. And there's a lot of people hurting out there. So, you know, I, you know, I feel for that. I, I did 13 years in the restaurant industry. So I know, uh, I know if I was still in that industry, I'd be to, you know, this would be driving me a little bit more crazy than it currently is. So, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I've heard some, um, some cool stories about that, that particularly in my neighborhood, there's a new, new restaurant called little bear. And it's a guy who traditionally did some pop-up restaurants and they have, totally i mean their their whole thing was to dine in of course right that's that's like where they make their bread and butter and you get the highest margins on people dining in and buying and you know add-ons and things like that but and um and alcohol yeah well the, that that's changed now because you can just buy alcohol and have it delivered too but um they have basically shifted and they said that that they are not getting rid of any of their servers and they're basically rotating them in and out and um, still paying all their salaries. And they're still buying the flowers from the florist that they were getting flowers from for their table. And they're just giving it to their employees or to guests and stuff. But they're, um, they're just like having them work as like line cooks instead yeah. because, because volume went up. And so they need more of that. <laughs> so they just shifted them, which is <laughs> not well, exactly their expertise, but you know, it's nice. Well, while we're shouting out some awesome folks uh, in the restaurant industry, you know, I used to work for a restaurant out in Decatur. It's called Wahoo Grill. And, you know, they're not open right now for business. They're doing takeout, uh, you know, pick up food and do these things. And one of the things uh, Libertarian Party of Atlanta just did last week 
they have an adopt a healthcare worker kind of program going on at that restaurant where you buy box lunches in groups of 10 or 20 and uh, they will deliver them for you to healthcare workers who you know are obviously stressed and could use a little healthy nutritious food so uh lp atlanta last week we went ahead and uh you know i went ahead and we weren't really having a regular meeting at that point so i just kind of took it upon myself on behalf of LP Atlanta to deliver 20 lunches out to Emory, uh, the Emory hospital. Yeah. And uh, so I just wanted to shout out they're they're a great group of people and uh, they're doing all they can and they got really awesome food. So if anybody in the Decatur area is looking to pick up a meal or maybe just, you know, if they want to uh, donate a little bit of money to help out healthcare frontline workers <laughs> and also, you know, help keep a local business afloat, that's a great thing to do. Um, anyway, so I just figured I'd shout them out while we're talking about, uh, restaurants doing awesome stuff uh, amongst this uh, government mandated shutdown that we've been having. <laughs> yeah. And I was listening to the, um, I was listening to another podcast, the political rewind. They had the president of Grady hospital on, and he was saying, you know, they, they were asking what the best thing people can do for them is. And they sort of laughed and said, you know, we've heard about people bringing meals and, and he was like, don't, don't laugh about that. That is, that is some serious business. That is so helpful to like for people to know that they've got a meal coming and that it's like, they don't have to worry about that. It's not stressful. Like they're not trying to find a place to go out and get a lunch somewhere or packing and doing all like, it's just one less thing they have to worry about. And it's, it's immensely helpful. So well, I mean, I can, yeah, <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience. Um, I have a friend who's a nurse and uh, she has said that, you know, when you go out and try to get lunch while you're wearing, you know, if you're wearing scrubs on your way home from work or something like that, you know, if, it, if there's any indication that if you work at a hospital, maybe not scrubs because, you know, they do change out. If there's any indication <laughs> that you work in a hospital on like the train or when you're waiting for a bus, people look at you really weird. And I can imagine just trying to be at like a, a you can try to pick up some food somewhere and be stressful. So it's nice that, you know, we figured what the hey, we'll go out and give some food uh, to some healthcare workers. But yeah, uh, no, it's so awesome. It's awesome to hear about um, like good stories of people, you know, going out of their way to help people that, that need it. Right. That's like what we believe in. So that's one of the central messages uh, you know, as an affiliate LP Atlanta, you know, one of our central messages is uh, volunteerism and action. You know, um, since I became chair, you know, I, I've looked for like, what's the direction that I want to kind of move or what kind of, what is my goal as chair for this affiliate? And part of that is, is to expand, um, expand the our, you know, uh, our positive image among the community. And part of that is doing volunteer, you know, doing, doing volunteer work, um, not waiting for government to solve problems that we as individuals can solve ourselves. We should be an example to that. And that's part of our principles is we shouldn't be expecting government to take care of us. And so, you know, part of, you know, we do uh, park cleanup, you know, usually once a month until this kind of interruption <laughs> happened, we were cleaning up a park once a month, uh, in Atlanta. We're going to resume that pretty soon. It'll be more of a socially distanced park cleanup, but we'll still be able to get out, enjoy a little sunshine and kind of keep a community area clean, which is something, you know, cleanliness and sanitation is something that we should all be kind of a little more mindful in these days. And, uh, you know, doing things like donating to those healthcare workers and, uh, and just kind of informing the public about options that they have um, with regards to charity. And you know, we've done a lot of work with the Atlanta Center for Self-Sufficiency in the past. And, uh, you know, I want to keep working with groups like that in the future, because not only is it, you know, it's, it's good to do good things, but also for our party, it's good to expand uh, people's positive image of what we are as libertarians and change the perception that some people might have. You know, Atlanta is a very blue city. And so there's a lot of people we can find coalitions with 
among like criminal justice issues, civil liberty issues. But to do that, we kind of have to change some people's minds. And so that voluntary work is part of that, part of that as well. Yeah, they sort of think of us as as um, selfish, like just leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And and that's like not really what we believe at all, especially, you know, folks like you and me who kind of come a little bit from the left. Um, I mean, I say that loosely just because it's really hard to talk about paradigms and, and all that, especially within, you know, libertarians, because we barely believe in the paradigms. But um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the, you know what we what we truly believe in is that you know good ideas don't require force and that people are generally pretty good to each other and we want to help each other and you know I won't go so far as to say we're we're altruistic or anything like that but because um, I, I don't believe altruism is a real thing but but we do want to look out for one another and we do get self satisfaction from knowing that we've done good. Um, for even a single person, right? That helps us. And so um, there's a lot of motivation there. There's incentives that exist already for us to help. And so you don't have to, you know, hold a gun to someone's head, take their resources so that you can do some good somewhere else. You just don't have to do it like that. And, and, you know, and so often government actually gets in the way of helping your fellow man. You know, we have, you know, there's laws against feeding the homeless in cities all across America. You know, there's uh, people who have to fight to have mobile barber shops and cleaning stations and things like that. You know, so it, it's, I think you're right. Good ideas don't require force. And I think uh, to want to live in a world where, you know, we're helping our fellow man. I think most people in, you know, in general are good people in the world and left to their own devices. I think we would generally be good to each other. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's like Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one, too. <laughs> good ideas don't require force and be excellent to each other. Yeah. <laughs> we got all kinds of catchphrases in this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I guess um, you, you tried to give me a little bit of a segue earlier and I did not bite because I wanted to say something else. Um, but we <laughs> wanted to talk about um, the shutdown. Um, so we had, a, you know, like you said, a government force closure of of you know, certain uh, businesses that were deemed non-essential by the powers that be. Um, I, I still hold uh, the, the position that there is no such thing as a non-essential business. There's no such thing as a non-essential person. Uh, that's that's a r- ridiculous. And, and the fact that they think they have the power to decide who is essential and non-essential is offensive to my very being. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I honestly think that, you know, I don't think the government really has the authority. Uh, I don't see anywhere, you know, short of declaring martial law where government has ever really had the authority, unless you, of course, you know, martial law superseding the Constitution. That's really a whole other discussion. But the government, the state government doesn't have the authority to be shutting down businesses. And honestly, you know, the market itself was shutting down businesses before government was. Like you and I have both said, you know, we were uh, heading home from work and working from home weeks before government mandated that offices yep. needed to close. Uh, restaurants, you know, I know many restaurant uh, owners who they closed their business before the government mandated it because there just weren't customers coming in. And they, yeah. had, to, they had to lay off workers because they said, well, we're going to do a takeout only business, but because of that, we need, you know, X number less employees. And so the, the market was already shutting it down, you know. And I think, I think what happens when government kind of mandates these closures and also mandates reopening, government's not going to reopen this, this economy, people are going to reopen the economy. What government's going to do is they're going to take credit. They're going to say, see, we mandated these closures and we flattened the curve. Look how great government was when it was really people who flattened the curve. It was individuals making the, the educated choice, the rational choice 
to socially distance. And many businesses had to make the choice to close because they just weren't keeping the lights on. You know, the economy was going to slow down regardless. So I think, uh, I think it's a lot of government, much, you know, government trying to grab authority when they really didn't really even need to. I think people were already moving in that direction. And yeah. now you have this, you had you this soft reopening, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, which uh, and I can tell you right now, um, I've spoken to several salon owners and I've spoken to a few people who own restaurants and they're not opening their businesses right now because of the orders that have been given to reopen the are unworkable. It's well, that's, really- that's, that's what I was going to get into is that, you know, that the, with the, there's an announcement last week and, you know, we haven't had a podcast since where the, um, well, it was announced on 420, I think, which was great. But um, Kemp rolled back the mandatory closure of certain businesses, and it was like salons and uh, tattoo parlors, spas, and bowling alleys. Bowling alley, yeah, bowling alleys. It was it's kind of a weird list of things, but um, and then uh, restaurants will start being able to opening their dining rooms on Monday. But there's a lot of rules put in place, so <clears throat> I mean, you question whether or not it, it's rolled back at all. And and like you said, you know people who said they're not going to do it because the the rules are too stringent. But um, I, I happen to live across the street from some salon owners and they're not going to open up because they don't have any. Per, uh, so uh, generally salons are owned by an owner and then they rent out their spaces to people who are independent contractors. And those are your your beauticians, the people who are cutting hair and doing that kind of stuff. They're, they're independent contractors. They work for themselves. And they uh, the space. yeah, so they said that none of their people want to come in anyway. They're just like, well, we don't feel safe, so we're not going to do it. And that's fine. That's perfect. That's great, right? That's the there way it's supposed to work. Doing that as well. Yeah, and and then, but but once they get, once they feel comfortable, they'll be able to do that, and it won't be once the government feels they're comfortable to whatever because Kemp rolled that piece of it back. So now it'll be whenever the people decide that they are ready to, you know, take on the risk or that the risk has has subsided enough to get out there, it'll happen in a lot more of a. Um, you know, a, a, a organic way, which is, I think, a lot more healthy for the for the economy, for people in general. And like, you just have to give people the options to do it. Well, and I also think you're going to see this, uh, you're going to see a transforming of the economy from this pandemic. You know, you're going to see businesses making different decisions. You know, I can already tell you, a lot of offices like mine are going to embrace teleworking a lot more than they did beforehand, because they see, wow, the this business is still working, we're still able to function with our workforce from home. Hey, it'll reduce uh, workplace stress to have so many people at the office. It will help us socially distance in the future if there's a you know if there's a another increase or if this comes back or whatever. Um, you know, businesses are looking at new options now that they they really weren't paying attention to before. So there's actual opportunity um, in this for businesses the way they do things. Um, so you know, I don't think anybody's really raring to go stick their finger in a bowling ball right now you know i just don't <laughs> i'm not i'm not going anywhere there. yeah yeah i mean i'm not going i didn't really think bowling alleys were super clean to begin with a lot of them before this <laughs> pandemic. yeah so i'm not super sure that the guy spraying my shoes is going to be the guy that i trust you know to keep me safe so i'm going to make that educated decision the market is going to move when the market moves and uh, i think we're looking at you know we're going to look at a tough economy for a lot of people for a, for a while. And uh, again, 
that's going to be the market that, that moves things. It's not going to be government. Government likes to take credit for lots of things they have nothing to do with. Yeah. And uh, economic recovery is certainly going to be one of them. Whenever it happens, if it happens, if it were to happen in six months, the president right now would take all the credit for economic recovery. If it happens well, he already, he already years, took credit for the economic uh, when, when it was like right before this happened and the economy was going strong. He was taking credit for it, even though, of course, it's not his fault. And of course, it wasn't Obama's fault. And of course, right now, it's not his fault that it's doing so poorly. I mean, it's just absurd to think that one man has that much power over the entire economy of our country, let alone the world. No, there's a million. There's a, there's a million decisions being made every day that actually guide the economy. And you're shortchanging it. There's way more. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, <laughs> but I know, get what you're. I get what you're saying. I was. I was gonna say we're we're uh, the LP Georgia is also sort of changing the way they're doing things. Um, I I have in the past let um, you know lack of physical space be a barrier to you know having certain types of meetings, and doing like open houses and trainings and things like that, and like all these all these uh, conference calls have let me know that like, it's probably pretty easy to just do some of this stuff virtual. So like next week we're doing uh, on April 28th, we're doing a virtual candidate open house where we're inviting everyone who's like considering being a candidate. And I think we're just going to do this monthly from now on can just hop on. And um, it's, I don't have a presentation planned or anything like that, but you know, if, if somebody has questions to talk about, like how, how do I become a candidate? You know, what, what are the steps? What, what kind of things do I need to be thinking about? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, we'll have somebody on hand to answer all those questions. And like, I don't see that changing after we can be at a place. I don't, I don't necessarily think we need a space for it. I just think this is a virtual thing and like, it's just available and easy now. And I just wouldn't have thought about it beforehand. (laughs) Well, you know, I've, uh, I've always loved the idea of doing things digitally. Um, you know, I can tell you like some people that have been my best friends, I've actually never met in person. Um, because I've been super into the online, like podcasting community for a long time. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a great way to be able to connect people who might not be able to physically get to one place or another, especially with a state as big as Georgia. We are a big old state, you know, to, to drive from one area to another can sometimes be quite a daunting task. So now it opens up the state party to a lot more people, you yeah. know, than physically meeting. And, uh, you know, LP Atlanta world, we're, we're you know, Metro Atlanta's pretty large in itself and uh we do in-person meetings you know we're planning to have uh, a meeting on june the 7th we're still you know we're going to figure out whether we want to do this in person or virtually based on the conditions and if there's a space available for us to actually meet at that point (laughs) based on based on guidelines but uh the purpose of that meeting on june the 7th is going to be we're going to be discussing uh healthcare free from government with a direct primary care physician named brian sanders um, so he's going to come on and talk with us about, you know, uh, healthcare, which is obviously a huge issue right now uh, with this whole pandemic, but ways that you can get affordable, uh, great quality healthcare using the direct primary care system, uh, which is, uh, well, well, we'll discuss more about it, but basically it's uh, purchasing healthcare directly without using insurance, without using any kind of government red tape. So uh, it's a fantastic uh, program. Um, I look forward to hopefully seeing people out at the meeting uh, if we do do it physically. If not, uh, maybe we can do it virtually and we can get uh, people from all over the metro area to learn about, you know, alternatives to healthcare that doesn't involve uh, government or, you know, basically a really messed up insurance marketplace, So, which is yeah, full so, of government. So, so direct- healthcare marketplace. 
So by direct care, do you mean that he takes cash payments and doesn't go through insurance? Yeah, basically you pay awesome. uh, the direct primary care model um, in general is you pay a monthly rate each month, you know, to be like a member of that group. And then you, you get a certain number of visits and then any additional care that's beyond like a traditional visit um, you pay for at cost, you know, or at the cost they charge you, which they advertise. Um, and it's typically so much lower than what is billed to insurance because, you know, hospitals bill insurance tons and tons of money. <clears throat> Nobody ever thinks about it. You know, you just go and have insurance and it just it cr increases the cost of healthcare. And uh, I've been researching direct primary care for a little bit. And it seems to be an option that if it were more widely available would really lower the overall cost of healthcare across the board for 80% of your healthcare is like, you're, you're going to the doctor. It's not emergency medicine. It wouldn't be ER visits. And so it's a great way to just save on that um, that big chunk of what your healthcare costs usually are. Yeah. But yeah I, and I look forward to him talking about how he actually does this in practice. And, uh, you know, it gives, you know, um, from what I've seen, it gives a lot more um, direct doctor to patient relationship. You're doing a lot less filling out of paperwork and coding for insurance billing and a lot more actually sitting with your patient and discussing their, their healthcare. So that seems to be uh, also, you know, an improved quality in addition to lower costs. So yeah. I, I look forward to talking to him more about it. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody says there's a catch. I look forward to seeing if there is one, but so far from what I've researched, direct primary care looks like an awesome, awesome government free option for healthcare. Well, it's more of a free market. And what I'm interested in, in hearing about from him, cause I will obviously be at that meeting. Um, <laughs> uh, what I'm interested in hearing about is, is some of the legal loopholes that he has to use and some of the, uh, you know, the, the barriers that they put up because um, I didn't think it was legal. Uh, if I'm being honest. So um, I, I know in uh, lots of states, it's not legal. And I, I've never heard of anything in Georgia. So I'm really interested to know how that works here. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how he has to manage the, uh, the government <clears throat> as well, because, you know, I'm sure that's something he does have to uh, combat pretty regularly. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So anybody who wants to come out, uh, definitely check us out on Facebook. We have the Libertarian Party of Atlanta Facebook page. Um, if you add us there, you'll definitely uh, see our event when we push that event out. Um, and it's also just a great place to discuss and meet other libertarians in the metro area. There's a, you know, there's a discussion forum there. And uh, yeah, anybody who ever wants to message me, I'm Chase Oliver Libertarian on Facebook. So just uh, search Chase Oliver Libertarian and shoot me a message if you're interested about anything. Yeah. All right. Um, so the other thing we wanted to talk about here is you brought a national story to our attention. We don't typically talk about national stories, but this kind of seemed um, just a, a especially egregious. And while people talk about um, the libertarian answer to a pandemic and how we don't have one, um, we, we are liking to highlight stories of where libertarianism would have worked, right? A reduction in government actually, and, and like a defanging and a free market of, of ideas and, and, and a free market of all of these other things would have actually helped in the pandemic. And so the, you know, the libertarian solution might be reduce government, but that is a solution. That's not, not an answer. That is like, literally we, we have a solution here. So you brought up a story about a uh, Delaware man who had some product seized by FEMA. Uh, you want to go ahead and tell, tell, tell everybody about that? Yeah. So this, uh, this story comes out of Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, it's about a man named uh, George Gian, Gian Forcaro, I'm terrible with Italian names, but Gian Forcaro. And uh, he is the owner of a, a small uh, 
Newark, Delaware-based company called Inditex. And so basically, the, this company um, paid to import a lot of N95 masks and other uh, PPE, you know, protective equipment, um, in order to sell these to local governments like the state of Michigan, as well as nursing homes in Delaware, and uh, also, you know, uh, mariners who are basically um, bringing in containers and part of the supply chain who bring in uh, uh, goods into this country. Um, so the problem is, is, so he wanted to import these goods, sell them at a reasonable price, probably make a little bit of a profit like any other business would, and uh, you know, basically help provide these people with these masks. And what happened is, is FEMA decided that they wanted to seize his, his stuff, so they, they took his products that he had already paid for, uh, millions of dollars worth of, of products, um, and have said that you can only sell to FEMA. You can't sell to these other people, basically, they're using the, uh, the Defense Production, I don't know if it's the Defense Production Act or what it is under the government that they're using for this, but they're basically just seizing um, this guy's masks and saying, you can't sell to the state of Michigan. I'm not, I'm not convinced that they're trying to justify this legally in any form or fashion, because like you said earlier, they don't have the authority to do any of this stuff. It's insane yeah. what's going on. And uh, he paid $4 million for this order on March the 18th. So he's out $4 million unless he sells to, to FEMA only. They won't let him sell to anyone else. And uh, my problem with this is, is, you know, we have a federal government who, you know, who has said it's up to states to provide these tests and it's up to states to provide this protective equipment to their healthcare workers. You know, uh, you know the, the, what is it, the stockpile is for us, not for states. I don't know what that means. But, uh, uh, and so it really kind of ticks me off that this guy's being handicapped from selling masks to the state of Michigan, a state that has had uh, massive reopen protests. They want, it, they want the economy to reopen in Michigan. And part of that is having enough N95 masks for healthcare workers and, you know, things of this nature. And, you know, and yet, this guy's being prevented from uh, working in a free market and selling to these states. And we already have to hear about states that are out having to outbid each other and stuff like that, which, you know, that's a marketplace. But for this guy, he, he gets all this stuff just completely removed from the marketplace altogether by the federal government. And I don't know how FEMA is going to distribute this stuff. You know, there's no oversight as to where this stuff's going to go. Well, we it's, do sort of know because um, President Trump has actually, um, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. Of course, you weren't on it. But um, that there was a hospital, I think it was somewhere in New York, who sent him an email, like a, a personal email, somebody who knew him and said, you know, we, we are low on this. And he, he allocated via, you know, central planning uh, a bunch of resources to this hospital, whether they needed it or not, like, like not based on what other people said, but based on, you know, who he's friends with. And I'm not necessarily saying that, like, he shouldn't have done that part. I'm saying that that whole system is busted, right? It's inherently busted because central planning doesn't work. We, we know it doesn't work. We never believe in it. These are Republicans who now for decades have held the position that central planning doesn't work, at least out of their mouths. And right now what they're doing, because that's who's in power, is, is implementing these central planning policies where they're seizing people's goods so that they can centrally plan how they are distributed like that's what's happening <laughs> and meanwhile and meanwhile there's a nursing home in delaware that's out masks and right. meanwhile there are uh there are people who work the supply chain bringing goods and you know bringing goods in and around this country 
um, much of it, much of it medical equipment and things that, and food and things that we need to keep the economic engine running in this country. Um, meanwhile, they're outmassed. They were, they were expecting to be able to pay for, they probably already budgeted that in their uh, budget, you know, and yep. now they don't have the opportunity to do that. And this guy's meanwhile out millions of dollars. And if you think he's ever going to get that restitution from government, uh, you know, I got some beachfront property in Arizona to sell you. Well, and most most importantly, so not only is that theft, but if you think that he's going to spend another $4 million on, on PPE to bring to people who need it, uh, you got another thing coming to you there as well, because he just had this snatch from him, and there is no reason for him to put himself out there to bring more product to the market. So now your supply is down. And, you know, and, uh, and you know, I've argued, you know, and, and non-libertarians will argue with libertarians, you know, about... Oh, taxation is theft. Is taxation theft? It's not. This is theft is theft. They literally <laughs> just took his stuff and didn't pay him for it. Right. And now they have possession of it and won't. And the only people they'll let him sell to is FEMA, which you know they're not going to give the price he was probably going to get from other people in the market. And there's no evidence of not that. Well, Chase, you muted. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a little crazy. And I just thought this is a story that really should be uh, getting a little more attention shined onto it because if it's happening in Delaware, Lord knows it's going to be happening at ports, you know, everywhere, you know, it's in, in, you can look at Maryland. There's that other story in Maryland of uh, governor Hogan basically had to put the national guard up against the feds to protect these tests that him and his wife had secured from the government of South Korea to bring into this country. Um, for no other reason than the fact that the feds, they want to centrally plan and they want to take, you know, they want to, they want to even further take jurisdiction away from the states, they want to take jurisdiction away from the local governments, they want to take jurisdictions away from individuals. So, I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, I hate that he bought those tests, but I absolutely love that they were purchased and defended against the federal government. That makes me happy somewhere in my soul. And I don't know where it is, but um, there's a lot of problems there, but it's, it, overall it made me happy. <laughs> there's there's definitely a there's definitely a worse villain the worst villain in that story and it's yeah. not it's not Larry Hogan. Yeah. So um another thing I wanted to talk about um because I feel like it's relevant to people who probably listen to this podcast and um I ha I I apologize for the the um you know left field here but um the convention, right? The national convention? Oh yeah. Yeah, so a bunch of people uh today so we're recording this on on Sunday night. Um, a bunch of people on Sunday morning got the news in their emails that they um, have canceled their rooms at the Marriott in Austin for the LP National Convention. Um, that apparently came as a complete surprise to our convention oversight committee. They had no idea that that was going to happen. And then later on, we found out that it was a mistake on behalf of the Marriott, but that they it is probable that there will be no convention on the dates. Yeah. I've been thinking uh, for the past few weeks that the, 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 the probability that we would have a full in-person convention in Austin has been just going, just dwindling as the weeks have gone by, like, you know, and uh, I think now at this point, it's looking like it's going to be some sort of cross between doing the quick rump thing uh, and just passing a bylaw change and then changing it to an electronic convention, which again, you know, we were talking about how um, proximity isn't so much of a challenge now that you can do these digital meetings with LP Georgia and other people from all across the state. Well, we're going to have to put that to the test as a national party. And uh, I think it's something we can do. 
And uh, I think we can, uh, you know, I think it's possible to do. And I, I, I look forward to the challenge of doing an electronic convention. Of course, I wanted to meet so many people. Yeah. You know, in person from across the country. And I guess it's going to have to wait until Reno in 2022. But uh, in the meantime, I think we have the means and the capability to get ourselves a, uh, a nominee for president and vice president, um, some party official, you know, like party officers and, and do a little bit of business. I don't know if it's going to be like the full convention, uh, the whole rigmarole, but I think we can get enough work done and uh, get people on the ballot and start getting this, uh, start getting the campaign moving forward and, uh, you know, and, and all that, all that good stuff. So I'm looking forward to participating in electronic convention. I look forward to discussing with you and other folks at LP Georgia exactly how we're going to do this. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge and I always like to rise to a challenge. So yeah, you, the, the problem is you miss out on a lot of the politicking, you know, like there, there's, there were like bylaw changes that I, that I hadn't, you know, considered before. Cause honestly, I think it's, it's very boring um, to, to read it beforehand, but then in the moment I care like more than anything else in the whole world. And uh, I try to convince everybody to my side and that won't really happen if it's electronic as, as easily, right? There's, there's still going to be some side chatter and all that, but, but it, it's going to be interesting to figure out how all that works. It, it yeah. should be said that that is not 100% what was going to happen. So there are a couple of other options on the table. One, um, they are talking about moving it back to July, um, which would still carry the risk of us not being open in July. Uh, yeah. You know, so so there's there's a, a little bit there, and I think they they think they can push it all the way back to August. I think without having too many terrible um, repercussions. The biggest problem is there are certain states that require um, signatures to get on the ballot still. And then you start, you know, without a candidate, you don't have the ability to collect signatures for the candidate. And so you start really putting them into a tight spot in some of those states like New Hampshire. Yeah. Georgia, Georgia doesn't have that problem. Georgia, whoever we nominate is going to be on the ballot. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, I, yeah, I think those challenges are there. There, it's, you know, There's a lot of options. The, uh, the uh, convention oversight committee is going to have to look into and, and when it comes to planning this whole thing. But, you know, I like the idea of doing an electronic one. We push back to July. We can always push back to July. And if there's still not things open, have a plan, prepared contingency for an electronic convention. In that case, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stay too much out of the, the weeds of it. Um, I trust that we got, we got a great LP rep. Um, and uh, I'm going to trust that they can kind of handle these things. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we just need to know. That's my thing. So like if we have a, if we, if, if we choose to move it to July, be, like the fact that there's a, a chance that it could be either pushed back further or still canceled. Like we just don't know how July is going to look. Cause I mean, I think a month and a half ago, I would have said we were going to have it in May. There's no problem there. Right. And like now yeah. that's, it seems silly. So um, I think if we, if we choose to move it back, we have to have something in place that is a you know a concrete plan contingency plan and we're not just waiting until uh so in this case may 2nd to figure out if we're going to have our may 19th convention you know what i mean like we just need to know yeah. what is the cutoff point what are the what are the criteria for we're going to go forward with it we're not going to go forward with it we just need to know there's a lot of uncertainty you know yeah yeah and uh and i you know i can only imagine how the, the presidential campaigns feel uh the chair campaigns feel i feel it too but uh, yeah, it's 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 very up in the air, and I look forward to seeing how we rise to the occasion as libertarians and solve the issue and yeah. get this taken care of. And uh, I hope we can do it in a way that we can use as a model and show uh, other political parties exactly how it's done. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be great. And I look forward and, and, and honestly, like I said, I'm trying to stay out of it, but if there's people who need help uh, with anything, let me know. Like I'm trying to, I want this campaign uh, or I want this convention rather to be a success. Yeah. And, uh, electronic or otherwise, you know? Um, and again, I, the worst part about it is not being able to meet lots of awesome libertarians from across the country in person. But uh, unfortunately, that's going to have to wait till uh, 2022. I already met a few awesome ones at our Georgia State Convention a while back. Yeah, we, we were we were lucky because we we planned ours early, and it was due to signature gathering that we we did ours early, and uh, we 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 knocked it out before all this stuff happened. But we just lucked out. I'm very <laughs> I'm very happy with that, and I'm you know there's a, there's an advantage to having an earlier convention, I guess. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. No, nah, we had a blast too. I loved it. It was it was, it was so much fun. Time. It was yeah. a great time. Awesome, fun debate. It it looked great. I mean, the the, the place that we uh, we had our convention at was was very nice, and I got to meet lots of awesome people, lots of great campaigns. You know, uh, I'm best. I, you know, I'm I'm internet besties with Kenneth uh, Blevins now. You know, from out oh, that's Oklahoma. funny. God, man, I convince him to run for. He's telling he's got to run for senator, governor out there, man. He's got to get the. No, he's got to run for a city council, man. You got to you got to run for whatever. Set his sights a little lower. I love, no offense, I mean, he's great. He went for president first. Probably not the best option. He's, he is. Um, think, uh, he he clearly needs guy. some public speaking uh, experience, which is, hey, man, is I fine. Him, I, I do too. I told him the exact same thing at the Libertarian, uh, the Georgia Convention. I was like, man, get yourself some public speaking experience because I mean, he's a blue collar worker. You know, he's a guy who actually like gets his hands dirty every day you know, wakes up and works hard. He's probably still going to work, you know, welders, <laughs> I'm sure they're essential. So he's probably still going to work every day. And yeah. uh, I think that's the kind of, <clears throat> I really like that we had such a broad range of candidates. Yeah. Well, you know, we, 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 we made a choice to, to let pretty much anyone who uh, met some very, very low bar of requirements into the debate because we think everyone should be able to debate. Right. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking more, and I'm also speaking more in general to just the libertarian field that we have of, of presidential chance. We got a huge field. You know, if Democrats think 20 is a lot, come on. <laughs> those are rookie numbers. But yeah. uh, we have lots of passionate people that come from all different areas. You know, we have, we have veterans. We have people who come from the world of academia. We have people who come from the world of elected office. Uh, we have a judge. I mean, we got, uh, we got a guy with a boot on his head. We got everything. You know, so there's a lot. We're I like to say that um, this party, again, often misrepresented. We're a pretty broad tent, big spectrum party. There's lots of different flavors of libertarianism. You know, um, and I tell people all the time, that's a good thing because it provides spirited debate. It provides the chance to have that uh, that discourse that's really needed to sharpen our messaging create an awesome, awesome platform. I think our platform is excellent. It's lean and it's great and it's not confusing. And part of that is, is uh, we have an awesome group of people who get together at conventions and hammer those things out. So yeah, uh, virtually or otherwise. So I had, I had one more question for you and you don't have to answer me if you don't want to. Uh, I, and I'm not hundred percent sure your status on it, but did you actually have any endorsements for uh, president, vice president, chair, Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be happy to tell you who I've endorsed uh, for these things. So I'll start with the. Uh, let's just start with chair of the party. You know, I'm in, uh, I'm endorsing uh, Joe Bishop Hinchman. He's a great guy. Um, the reasons why, and it's not it's not having really anything to do 
um, with the other candidates. It has to do with that Joe's an amazing guy. He's got a great background. He's got fantastic experience that we can utilize in this party. And I do think he's a very unifying voice. He doesn't really, um, he doesn't really turn off anybody. You know, he's not super controversial in my opinion. And I think that's actually a good thing because he allow. I think a party with him in the lead will make gains from where we've done in the last 10 and 15 years. And uh, I look forward to him being the chair of the party and I will work hard to uh, make sure that, that Joe Hinchman becomes uh, our next chair. Now uh, on to president and vice president. I have a mixed ticket because uh, my VP candidate, um, I support Spike Cohen and uh, I didn't know Spike Cohen until the Georgia convention. Right. I got to meet him. I actually got to talk to him in depth for a little while. And I, I really got to learn that this guy is a really, he's a super pure soul. He's a really nice guy. He is committed to Liberty. You know, he is a principled libertarian and he's an excellent communicator. Um, and I endorsed him a while back and I will continue to endorse him. He's been in the race for a long time. He's taken the time to travel to conventions. Um, he, he posts digital media and tries to get the Liberty message out there a lot. And I think Spike Cohen would be a great vice presidential candidate. I think he would be an asset to any top of the ticket. And he, uh, he's, uh, he's also featured as the April model in the LP uh, dad bods calendar. That too. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, I mean, and he's also, you know, he's also very active in many of the caucuses I care about. The Waffle House caucus, the Smoked Salmon caucus. He's involved in a lot <laughs> All of All the important cockeye. All the really important cockeye. So... I really, really love Spike Cohen, both as, a, both as an individual and as a vice presidential candidate. And uh, when it comes to the top of the ticket for president, um, anybody who knows me, it should be no surprise that I, I'm sporting John Mons to be uh, our top of the ticket. And the George, reason- Georgia man, yeah. Yeah, he's from Georgia. He's a local Georgia candidate. And the reason why I support him, well, really, John Mons is my first libertarian vote that I ever made, um, ever. You know, and, and when he ran for governor, um, I was at that point now a disaffected Democrat who was tired of hearing from the two parties. And I actually got to hear John Mons in a debate. And I was like, oh, this guy's, uh, this guy's something different. And I voted for him. And, uh, and now 10 years later, I actually got to meet him. And he's a great guy. And he's a very principled libertarian. But my reasons for supporting him is I think he can grow our voter base. I think, you know, he got a million votes in the state of Georgia. He's gotten almost 2 million votes total as a libertarian, that's more than Lincoln Chafee got as a Democrat or Republican and independent combined. So um, I think he has the ability to speak to audiences. He's, and uh, his platform is something that I think can be attractive to both libertarians and non-libertarians. You know, his focus that he wants to put on this race are areas that I, I agree with. Things like uh, demilitarizing the police, you know, stop criminalizing poverty, make it easier to start a business, make it easier to get uh, healthcare free from government make it easier to have more choices in our education system. You know, he's a homeschool parent, things like that. So I, I am a passionate advocate for John Mons. Um, I do have a second, third, you know, I have some other, there are plenty of, like I said, there's great candidates <laughs> yeah. all around. And for the most part, I will be happy to help any of them as a candidate. Yep. I'm, Mons, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our slate. There's not a, a single person I think I wouldn't help. Yeah, and, and John Mons is the, is the one that I have decided that I'm going to go into convention um, supporting, and I urge any delegates um, who might actually be listening to this podcast to, uh, to reach out to, to John Mons, to reach out to me, and let's talk about why we think John Mons is going to be the best candidate for the top of the ticket.
Nice. Um, so, yeah. All right, man. Um, well, did you have anything else? Um, other than uh, check out Libertarian Party of Atlanta on Facebook and uh, for any new events that we're going to be doing. And uh, I just want to send a general message to anybody who's listening to this. Um, just, you know, we're going through a crazy time in the country right now. This pandemic has really turned the world upside down. But one thing that we can do is we can be kind to each other. We can look out for those in our community um, who might be a little more vulnerable. I, for instance, you know, I, I do the shopping for our, uh, for our elderly neighbor in my neighborhood because I don't want her to go out and have to risk being exposed to something when she's uh, of the target age range where COVID-19 is very severe. And so I think if uh, people could just take that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude to kind of help each other out, we'll get through this together. This economy will recover. The world will be better. And, you know, if we work together, um, we can set the world free in our lifetime. So that's, that's something we can all do. And if you want to um, find out more about how to help at LP Georgia, um, you can go to lpgeorgia.com. You can also go to lpgeorgia.com slash Slack to join our Slack workspace, which is basically just a chat program um, where we collaborate on all kinds of different issues. Um, and then if you would like to let us know if there's some issue you'd like to hear about, or if you want to be on the podcast, we are very open to having people, especially from Georgia on the podcast. Um, let us know by emailing podcast at lpgeorgia.com. Uh, and then of course, rate us and review us on, um, Apple and, uh, with Stitcher. And I think there's a couple other places where you can rate and review, but make sure you're out there rating and reviewing our podcast. So people will see it more often. Uh, that'll help a lot. Even if you, uh, rate it five stars and say, Ryan needs to get bent. Um, that's fine. I'll take it. So I, <laughs> hey, hey, just go out and rate it five stars and write whatever the hell you want. That's crazy. And just let Ryan read it on the air. Yeah, I might, I might read it. I don't know. I don't know where we're at with that yet. We'll see. <laughs> no promises. But all right. Um, so that that's all I've got today. Um, bye, y'all. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. The theme song for this episode was Metaltania by Kevin McLeod, released to the public domain through freepd.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate us and leave a review. You can email the show's producers at podcast at lpgeorgia.com. If you're a libertarian in the state of Georgia, don't forget to find your local affiliate at lpgeorgia.com.